0: Welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's June 2nd, 2021. And I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And once again, I'm joined by the venerable Dr. Rick. And we are grateful to be coming to you and today. And today we're going to talk with Walt Mueller and Walt and Dr. Rick are dear friends who have known each other for many years. And uh, we're just so grateful for this interview and we're grateful for the way that that, uh, you're going to hear from Walt and uh, just how to think about this generation and how to think through how do we how do we reach this generation? But before we hear from Dr. Rick and Walt, I want to remind you of Stand for Orphans. Stand for Orphans is our kid-initiated, kid-run opportunity to make a difference in the lives of orphan and vulnerable children around the world. There are many ways to utilize Stand: making lemonade, baking cookies, doing an online talent show. There's really no limit, and to ways that you can allow your kids to get creative and to take a stand for orphans. So see our show notes or visit lifelinechild.org backslash stand for more information and for more resources. Well, Dr. Rick, I know you and Walt have known each other for a long time and you have utilized his resources and so much of what you've done. Uh, Help us learn a little bit more about what we're going to hear in this interview with you and Walt.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Herbie. Um, Walt Mueller is a dear friend and somebody that I've had the opportunity to know for you know almost 20 years now, and benefit from his ministry. Um, he is actually Dr. Walt Mueller, um, and and so his um, his expertise is just known far and wide as the. Uh, director, founder, president of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. And and so from their base in in, uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, they really are influential around the country and around the world in helping parents to understand the culture that their kids are growing up in and and to really advise parents about how to help their, their children think with a worldview that's centered on Christ, and and ultimately how to to not be passively influenced by the culture, but to to really press in and and to influence the culture um, for Jesus. And so, um, I hope everybody enjoys this. This is really just a conversation between a couple of friends, but uh, but one of those friends that I would recommend to everybody that I know that has teenagers, that this is, this is a person who him and his ministry and the people that he leads um, provide great value added in us understanding um, how to disciple our kids uh, to follow Jesus. Well, thanks for joining me again on the Defender podcast. This is Rick Morton. I'm having just an incredible privilege today to sit down with a, uh, with a dear friend and respected colleague, Walt Mueller, um, Dr. Walt Mueller. Let me, let me make sure, Herbie always emphasizes the doctor in my name. So I'm gonna emphasize the doctor in your name. Um, Dr. Walt Mueller is the, uh, is the founder and uh, director president, I guess, of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Uh, Walt is a dear friend. Uh, we've, we've known each other for a long time. And in, in my opinion, um, is the kind of the foremost culture watcher among evangelical Christians, and uh, and, and really uh, does such a, just an incredible job of of helping us to help our kids think worldviewishly um, about how to how to apply a, a biblical worldview in uh, in the culture in which we find ourselves. So Walt, well, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks, Rick. It's it's fun to be able to chat with you.
1: You know, there there's some of these interviews that I, I feel like, you know, I go into and I'm having to get to know the guest and all that. Um, this is one of those interviews that I'm not sure I, I want to let everybody know how well I know the guest, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, you probably don't, because then I'll start telling stories, right?
1: That's exactly right. This yeah, is sort we've, of laughed,
2: like... we've laughed together a lot. We've ministered together for a long time. We've had great conversations. So it's fun to be able to chat with you.
1: Absolutely. And, and we both still uh, sort of harbor a a, a a notion that maybe Fox will bring 24 back at some point and uh, we can commiserate over Jack Bauer uh, once a week, you know?
2: Yeah. You know, I forgot about that, that we shared that, uh, y- you know, get in touch with each other and, and talk about what happened last night on 24. So, yeah, <laughs> thanks are- for reminding me about that.
1: There you go. But uh, Walt, tell us, just tell us a little bit about yourself and you and Lisa and your family and and, uh, kind of just help our our folks to get to know you a little bit.
2: Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Rick. So uh, Lisa and I live here in central Pennsylvania. We're actually in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which many folks know as the Amish country. Uh, We use automobiles. We don't drive a buggy and uh, we don't live on the middle of farmland. A lot of people don't realize, even though it's very agricultural here, our our county population is well over half a million, and about 10 percent of our population is Amish. They're great neighbors, and it's it's a beautiful place and a fun place to live. We've lived here for uh, 30 years. Uh, Prior to that, we were in the Philadelphia area where I was doing youth ministry. Uh, We have four children. They're all grown adults, uh, two girls, two boys, and we have five grandchildren and another grandchild on the way. And um, what we've been doing here vocationally in terms of ministry calling is uh, really a follow-up to our work in youth ministry. Years ago, I was in the Philadelphia area working with middle school and high school students, and we were very intent on uh, recognizing And respecting parents as the ones who were primarily called uh, to engage in the spiritual nurture of their children. We saw ourselves as there to assist them. And so uh, anything we did, we did with an eye towards, you know, supporting parents. And as a result of that, being intentional about that, we developed some good relationships with parents that yielded a lot of opportunities to do things that we ourselves never would have thought of doing, but rather were sparked by the parents themselves when. They felt the freedom to come to us and say, hey, we're dealing with this issue or we're dealing with that issue. What do you know about this? What do you know about that? And uh, that's how I really got started studying youth culture. Parents came to us and said, hey, we've got a problem. This was in the late 1980s. So, you know, MTV has been on the scene for about seven or eight years and uh, the music world had changed. It was really blossoming. Uh, The influence of media was increasing on kids. Other institutions were declining in positive influence. And these parents, uh, I think, very astutely saw uh, that the culture was really shaping their kids, or I would say misshaping in many respects, forming or deforming their kids. And so they said, we don't understand our kids in their world. Can you help us understand that? So long story short, uh, we started regularly to sit with parents and share with them what we had researched about kids in their world. And we found that that was really helpful to parents. We found that the students found that helpful rather than what my suspicions were, that the kids would come back to me and go, you know, how dare you tell my parents about what's going on in my world? I'm trying to keep that separate and secret from them. The conversations in the homes were now about things that mattered and spiritual growth and nurture was taking place that had not taken place before. And So these parents were seeing themselves correctly, I believe, as we all need to as cross-cultural missionaries, not living in another country, but living with kids who are growing up in another culture right under their own roof. So that grew into, calling, into a calling to do what we do now. We've been doing it for 32 years, Rick, um, with the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, and that is Providing information and analysis on contemporary youth culture from a distinctively Christian perspective, and I'm going to tell you, it's gotten no easier. Um, There's there's way too much for us to really track with. Uh, It's changing at at a greater rate of speed. It seems like every day, Uh, but we're working to keep our finger on the pulse and resourcing uh, the very same people you're working to resource there uh, with things that would be helpful to them as they help their kids navigate life to the glory of God that's awesome
1: well you know well the part of the reason that i wanted to even uh, for us to do this interview and, to, and and to expose the work of cpyu to to our families is you know we have a we have an overriding conviction here that we we adopt and we foster um not not for reasons to you know to improve only the you know the earthly conditions of of a child like we're not uh, we say all the time and remind our team we're not uh, our, our primary calling is not to provide a child with a safe home <clears throat> or a, you know, home in a cul-de-sac or a bike or, you know, room to themselves or all those kind of things that, that ultimately this is about making disciples. And, and we're, you know, we're trying to place children in the homes where they're going to be well prepared um, to, to, to be able to lead their, their kids to know and to follow Jesus and, and knowing and following Jesus in our culture today Um, is complex, right, because we have a culture that is very much slanted against um, that, you know, that enterprise. I'm curious, just as we as we start, um, what are what are some of the places that you're that you hear on a regular basis from parents um, that are that are those maybe greatest points of difficulty or greatest points of dissonance in in trying to parent um, teenagers that are moving toward adulthood, to, to think, um, think out their, their, their life in Christ and, and to, you know, kind of live from that perspective of, of being a, a thoughtful believer.
2: Yeah, boy, that's a great question. And there's about a thousand different ways I could go with that. You know, I, I think, let me just affirm what you said about the culture and, you know, this is what the apostle Paul called the course of this world. Uh, the Germans, uh, sociologists called it the zeitgeist, you know, the spirit of the times. And it's it's uh, compelling, it's pervasive, it is uh, ever present, it's convincing, it's attractive, and you know I think one of the things we need to remember as parents is especially when our kids enter in adolescence, two of the main tasks of adolescence, developmental tasks, one is identity formation, which is trying to find an answer to the question, who am I? And the other is worldview formation, you know, an answer to the question, what do I believe? And I don't know many kids who consciously could state that that's what's happening, but that's what's happening. And as a result of that, this is what I want parents to understand. The culture is actually more potent because they have these questions Yet, as you say, they're not necessarily thinking Christianly or consciously, they're just sort of absorbing what it is that they're swimming in that gives the answers to these questions. And so uh, one of the things that I say all the time is that uh, if, if your listeners are familiar with the term catechesis or what catechisms are, which are these tools in the history of the church that, you you know, parents in the church would use through questions and answers. And even adults would engage with these catechisms where they would learn theology and they would go over this and over this again to remind them in the midst of all these other voices screaming in their ears, you know, come and follow who it is they follow and what they're to believe. The culture that the volume has been turned up on the 24-7 catechesis that's taking place from the culture. And at the same time, if we're not diligent, we're actually contributing to the culture's advance because the volume is being turned down on what we should be teaching. So that said, you know, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of what families and kids are having to deal with uh, mo- in the most prevalent way today would be um, a term called expressive individualism, which really goes against the truths of the gospel. The, that, that, that two word term was first used in, um, Robert Bella and Habits of the Heart. And then Charles Taylor's written a book, a philosopher's written a book called A Secular Age. And they talk about that as, as, as that basically being in the air that we breathe, breathe. And what it means is that, you know, I'm the one who's in control of my life. And my feelings should dictate my understanding of what's right and what's wrong and what paths I should pursue and what paths I should avoid. In other words, when I start to answer the questions, who am I and what do I believe? It's really about me and my intuition rather than any sort of outside authority, including, you know, the scriptures and the gospel, which is deeply, deeply troubling and increasingly seen as irrelevant and not a path to take. So, um, one of the great mantras of expressive individualism is this, it's, you know, be authentic to yourself, Mm -hmm. follow your feelings, follow your heart and parents will hear this. Right. And, and kids, I mean, kids, when kids say this and they live this, they're just being true to the worldview that they've assimilated. And we know that the gospel, it's the exact opposite. So for example, with the, you know, the, the, uh, developmental task of identity formation, finding an answer to the question, who am I? We need to be teaching them what it means to be human and go back to the book of Genesis that we're made by a loving God with care and concern, a God who's known us from before we were born, who made us in his image. And for those of us now who are in Christ, when God looks at us, our primary identity is what God sees is the righteousness of Christ. But yet, what does the culture teach about identity? Well, it's your accomplishments. Uh, It will be found in your sexual expression. Uh, It will be found in the big one right now, Rick, is the whole gender issue Mm -hmm. where you get to to decide for yourself. That's expressive individualism. It matters not how God made you and what your body parts say you are. And in fact, we don't even believe anymore that there's a binary of male and female. So everybody just kind of, you know, goes right across. And I was, I was thinking about, um, you know, one of the influencers out there right now is Jojo Siwa, who I think is just 17 years old, a a YouTube star and got her start on, you know, Nickelodeon, which by the way, um, the, the, uh, the following of Nickelodeon or their target audience starts at age two, starts at Mm -hmm. age two. And so she's got this multiple millions of followers, Uh, on YouTube and Instagram, and she came out the last couple of months as quote, unquote, I think pansexual. So she's kind of all over the place, and she introduced her young followers to her lesbian girlfriend. And so, you know, this is is expressive individualism. She's feeling this, and she's deciding this is what she's going to jump into, and uh, there's no sense of authority outside of self. So that's what I would say is the big thing right now. Yeah. And I, you know, Walt, I I, I really want to dig in there for for
1: a minute because I I think one of the things that that is <clears throat> that our listeners can definitely identify with is is in especially as we talk about adoption that identity formation in in adopted children is just that much more complex, right? Like there's there's a there's a set of variables to to that question of who am I that revolve around this complicated idea of you know biology versus experience and nature versus nurture and 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 so as kids are as kids are kind of trying to wrestle through and and figure out that who am i for a lot of our kids there's a there's an unknown in 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 that equation there's a you know how much am i like those those people that i you know that i came from biologically as adopted parents, sometimes we sort of get squeamish in that conversation because we don't we don't want to necessarily take that head on because that pushes at some pain points and some you know discomfort even with us in having that conversation with our kids. But I, but I think it 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 also serves to kind of remind us that that because this is more complex for our kids, many of them are more susceptible to the messages that are coming from the culture. That are kind of screaming at them about who they are and 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 are trying to, you know, that, that are trying to compete for their attention in, you know, in, in making that definition. And so what advice would you give to parents who have kids that are struggling in the middle of identity development about how do you help your kids negotiate moving through the culture and help them to think, you know, kind of critically and help them to think you know, more, more, um, you know, more in, in a more discerning way yeah. about the messages that are coming at them in the culture.
2: Yeah. Boy, that's a great question. And, and, you know, you're right in my limited experience, which doesn't even come close to what you and your listeners uh, are aware of, you know, firsthand, just from your experience with raising children who you've you've adopted, you know, I, I think Some of you will, I mean, obviously, you know that a lot better than I do, but I would say this, that we have a culture now that's pushing us into self-defined identities. And when kids reach adolescence, you know, when we talk about adolescent development, one of the things that's going to happen is, and this is a task of parents, you, you are preparing them to move from the dependence of childhood to the independence of adulthood. And the teenage social group, if we talk about social development, that that group becomes more will become more important to your kids. And it's difficult sometimes to watch as your kids gravitate towards others who you think might be a little bit out there and sketchy and not towing the line in terms of, you know, positive peer pressure. It's much it's much more negative and pushing kids toward thing towards things that would not be. Good, true, right, and honorable. But I think the important thing for parents to remember at that point is that you remain important and vital. I just read some research today from Christian Smith, uh, and you're familiar, Rick, with Christian. Oh, yeah. And he's talk, he's doing a lot of research now on adolescent spiritual development, and and you know how do we, what's there? What are the variables that are there when kids stick with a faith or gravitate towards a faith and move into adulthood? towards the faith even though they may wander a bit during adolescence and that is parents who put a stake in the ground and who have borders and boundaries but effectively they are loving and nurturing and you know it's it's the work of God's spirit um we have our, our responsibilities be faithful and obedience the work of God's spirit but i would say you know for for anybody whether you're Raising children you've adopted, or it's your biological children, you know, leaning into God's word and not only teaching uh, from God's word consistently and and looking, like you said, looking for those teachable moments where the culture raises an issue and to go Mm -hmm. to our kids as they're able to think, say, Well, what do you think about that? Well, here's another way of looking at it, right? And then bring the light of God's word to bear on that. I mean, Jesus did that in the Sermon on the Mount when he would say, you have heard it said that, and he would lay out what everyone had believed, but then he would say, but I tell you, and he would lay out for them this new kingdom way and this new kingdom priority. I find that to be a very helpful way to have conversations, especially when kids are disagreeing with you or questioning the truths of the gospel to give them, help them see what the culture is saying, and then see what the scriptures say, and then trust the Holy Spirit here. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking here because we've talked about this. We've done a thing, right? We've done a thing here at CPYU where we, like, with media evaluation, discover, okay. discern, decide—the 3D approach to what you encounter in media. So when you're listening to music with your kids or watching a film, you know, discover. Hey, what's the worldview being promoted there? Well, discern. What how, does God God's word mesh up with that? Now let's make a decision. What am I going to believe? And I've got mm-hmm. this new thing I'm doing now. We've got a A new book coming out in July called, it's a short little book for kids called uh, Students Guide to Navigating Culture, where I teach, uh, I'm working to teach students and youth workers and parents to go through a three-step process with anything they find in culture, where you look at the world, then you compare it to the word, and you decide how you're going to walk in God's world. Mm. You know, what brings honor and glory to God? So just having those conversations consistently, it's hard work. Uh, it's disappointing many times, but you have to remember sound travels slowly. You know, someone once said, what you tell a kid when they're 15, (laughs) they don't hear till they're 25 or 30. I don't know. You know? So, I mean, that's my best attempt at an answer to what you're saying there. And, and, you know, don't expect immediate results. It just takes time.
1: Well, and, and, you know, and and Walt, I love that. I, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a sense in which we, we're conditioned to want immediate responses. We're conditioned to want to see, you know, immediate value add because that happens in every other area of our lives. Right. But, Take a but, pill,
2: push a button, flip a switch, right. call a plumber.
1: But anybody that's parented teenagers knows that's not that's not parenting, and that's not that's not parenting your your kids through, um, you know, the becoming of of an adult. I I think you know, I I would, I would kind of want to add on to, and, and just kind of take it another, another step with you. Um, You know, one of the things we realize about many of our kids that have come from hard places is there is, you know, there's trauma or neglect or, you know, abandonment and all of these kind of things in the background for, um, for them. And that there are, you know, there are developmental and intellectual consequences for all of that, right? And and we understand that the part of the brain that is primarily affected by that is, you know, kind of that prefrontal lobe, prefrontal cortex, that reasonable, rational, decision-making, um, you know, kind of critical thinking part of the brain. But it, it's noteworthy to me that that the the process that you just talked about of, of walking through um, the three D's is, is actually a really great template for pushing your kids to stretch and to develop intellectually in their ability to be able to think critically. So it's almost this idea that what, what you're advocating for parents to do is also kind of the, the heavy lifting and the, and, you know, sort of the work in the gym that we need to be doing with kids anyway, to get them to really maximize the, you know, the, the, the use of their, their intellect and to kind of, you know, address those issues of, you know, of critical thinking. And so when you're sitting on the couch with your, your child watching a movie or listening to music or whatever, and you're being that annoying parent who's, you know, kind of walking through the three D's and, and, and kind of doing that out loud in front of them, what you're essentially doing is, is you're, you're doing work in intellectual development. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah. So kind of unpack that a little bit about, you know, what what are some of the things that you just recommend to parents to be able to take advantage of those teachable moments?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you, you talk about how it, uh, it really bugs them. And I think of that, you know, it does bug them because I did this with my kids. And I remember one time they were all together in the room. It was during a Super Bowl halftime show. And it was like, dad, just knock it off. You know, <laughs> let, you know, just let us watch, you know, no, no, I'm not doing that. So it bugs, but it also prepares. And here's, here is the advice I would give, uh, because like you said, you know, the frontal lobe is the last place to get wired up. And we know that kids who have experienced trauma, uh, there may be like uh, 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 there's good chance there's gonna be a lifetime of uh, differences in in their brain de- uh, in terms of development because God has made us integrated beings and trauma does do something to the brain. I'm reading a book right now called Inventing Ourselves: The Secret Life of the Teenage Brain, and it does talk about this and how this works itself out. So, here's, here's what I would say, you know, again, you want to release your kids in and prepare them for the independence of adulthood. So this is, this is what we do, right? When they're little, we think for them and we want to prepare them to think for themselves. And what comes between that is really important. And sometimes we forget to do it correctly. And that is many parents who are more authoritative will continue through the teenage years as the brain's developing. And you remember this, we all did this. Like we're thinking like I'm at 13 years old, I was thinking I was a fully formed adult. My parents were ridiculous. I don't want to listen to anything. You have to say, well, I needed them to be thinking with me. Mm -hmm. And so stop thinking for your kids and think with them. Don't let them in their adolescent years think for themselves, think with them. So you model good thinking. Uh, because, and, and one of the things I say, you mentioned the frontal lobe, right? Decision making, risk taking, impulse control, all that kind of stuff. I think parents need to see themselves as the frontal lobe during right. the teenage years. So, you know, assume that, assume the position, right? right? The frontal right. lobe and and really work to serve your kids in that way.
1: Well, and 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 gradually, you know, we sort of lessen our grip on that role. Yes. You know, the, the the point is that it's progressive. It doesn't all happen at one, you know, at in in one moment, but but we're kind of slowly but surely, you know, kind of giving them the the keys to their own thinking. Um, but we but we have to be we have to be purposive in the way that we do that. And I think You know, the mistake that I I think a lot of parents make is that we we see entertainment and we see media as that opportunity to relax. Right. Like we want to put our brains on autopilot. We don't you know, we've had a hard day. Our kids have had a hard day. We don't want to you know, we don't want to work too hard when we're when we're trying to be entertained. And the truth is, as believers, we have to work harder when we're being entertained because of the subtlety of the messages that are you know, that are coming at us and, and around us. I I think also, um, you know, there's, there's just, there's the, there's the practicality, um, in, in all of this of, of realizing that, um, that there's a, like, there is a destination in view of, of our kids, like, we, we don't want them to live in our basement when they're 40 right No, like we don't no. We, we don't want them to you know like our uh, they're, they're, that our their independence is ultimately to to our benefit and to our good as much as it's to their benefit and you know and to their good and to not give them opportunities to to think independently and to 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 move forward independently in the in the safety of a set of boundaries, and in the safety of us being there to help process with them, is is a is you know just a recipe for you know for failure. And and I think we, um, we, you know we wonder sometimes why our kids are not prepared to be able to make adult decisions. Um, it's because we haven't let them make small decisions and fail, and we haven't let them make small decisions and struggle in, in places where we could help pick them up and dust them off and, you know, put them, put them on the right track.
2: Yeah. And, 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 this is where I think, you know, parents need to stop looking side to side. And what I mean by that is that what you just described is epidemic that, you know, we just let them, you know, be nurtured by what they're watching as they sit there and they're not being passive there. I mean, they're really being influenced in some powerful ways and, or if we just say, okay, I'm going to outsource this to the youth pastor or to the church or you know to a Christian school teacher, uh, and then we can sit back and relax. I mean, this is, this is a constant 24-7 endeavor. And like I said, if we look side to side, we're going to see that most parents don't engage in this as an active 24-7 endeavor. So we might look from side to side and say, okay, I'm doing it okay, because I'm doing it like everybody else. But I think we need to look ahead. And, and understand what God is calling us to and, and what it means to be a parent, to steward your kids. And especially for adoptive parents, I mean, I just, I, I stand in awe of, of folks who are called to do that and choose to follow that calling, because I know that uh, there are really difficult situations, many of them. I know you and I have talked about that and, and with many other parents as well. So uh, but I think just staying the course yep. is so so important. I think one of you know one of the other things that, and
1: I, man, like I, I think back to the number of hours we probably spent talking about these things over the years, and 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 wrestling around them. And I think one of the most important things that I learned from you along the way um, is in that interplay, and and as we're as we're trying to guide our kids, um, also the art of. Of sort of exposing the troubling implications of the ways that our kids are thinking and then given a little bit of space, right? <laughs> like this idea that everything's because it doesn't it like we don't we don't really profit many times arguing with a teenager because they're not capable of it. They're they 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 are you know they're geeked up on adrenaline and they're sort of you know that fight or flight mechanism is in play. And for kids that have come from a traumatic background, that's even more true. But yet, I think in operating out of fear and sometimes operating with anxiety, our tendency is to want to just kind of stay in there and keep fighting and keep trying to prove our point. When in reality, some of the best teaching that we can do is kind of exposing the, the, like the end game of what our kids thinking is leading toward and then just walking away and letting them stew in it for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Unpa- and, and, unpack that a little bit. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm just going to say, you know, uh, one of the books that I read a couple of years ago that just rocked my world because it really, it really has, it really does describe, well, what's happening in our culture is uh, the coddling of the American mind by Jonathan mm. Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. And one of the things that, that they're saying there is that we coddle our kids way too much. How can we expect them to move into adulthood and be resilient and show resilience and think well and be discerning if all we're doing is thinking for them. And when they get themselves in, uh, you know, some would say a pickle or a difficult situation, we run interference for them. We bail them out. They don't have to, to suffer the consequences of, of what what that, what what you know, should happen with that. Yeah. So learning from that. And another book that's been really helpful, we've had this guy on our podcast, Dr. Leonard Sachs, Who uh, he's written books on girls, he's written books on boys. Be very helpful for your listeners to read his books. But he's written one called "The Collapse of Parenting," which really addresses this. And by reading about all the things parents are doing wrong, uh, it's really helpful to that helps you learn what you need to do to do right. So I think you know we need to stop the coddling. We need to stop the hovering. I get it. We live in a difficult world and kids, kids can be tough, but let them suffer the consequences of, of their actions. And that's one of the greatest teachers beyond just telling, get them to, as you said, experience.
1: So Walt, we could probably take up a, a month's worth of podcast episodes and not scratch the surface on, uh, on a lot of this thinking. And, um, and so Part of the part of the method of, to the madness of having you on the podcast is to have you talk a little bit about the resources that CPYU continues to produce um, for parents. So tell us about some ways that yeah. uh, that our folks can find you and can stay abreast of the work that, that you and your team are doing. To right, help
2: them. right, right. So the best thing, the easiest thing to tell people is to go to our website, which is cpyu.org, cpyu.org. And just spend 15 minutes there looking around, clicking around. Uh, When you get to the homepage, you'll see what some of the main areas are on there. We keep you up to date on news. I have a blog that I update every couple of days. Uh, We do a a one-minute daily podcast. It's one minute. It's called Youth Culture Today. It's on radio stations all around the country. And then Uh, You can subscribe to it as a podcast. So, Youth Culture Today. And we also do a long form podcast called Youth Culture Matters. And some of the matters that we've talked about here, Rick, Mm -hmm. we've addressed there. So, we've had guests on to talk about anxiety. We've had guests on to talk about issues with sexuality. We've had counselors, practitioners, you know, all sorts of experts who uh, we want to expose people to some of the best um, critical thinking from a Christian perspective that's out there on on youth culture issues so um, just go and take a look at that we we have three initiatives uh, and if you scroll down to the bottom of our site at cpyu.org you can go to those initiatives they're marked there very clearly each one has their own unique website uh, we have a college transition initiative we have a sexual integrity initiative and we have a digital kids initiative and all those were were, were sparked by Questions from parents and realities in youth culture where we thought we've got to populate a particular place here where people can go to and get resources. And most everything that's on our site is is free. I mean, one thing I'll recommend is when COVID hit, we actually started to uh, field a lot of questions from parents who were saying, hey, we're stuck in the house now with our kids. You know, what do we do? And what a great time for spiritual nurture, you're eating together, why not do family devotions, people said, Okay, how do we do that? So we have about 100, we We've posted about 100 uh, uh, downloadable PDFs on there, if you look for family table talks, yeah. and they're just simple one page devotional guides that we've put together for you to use in the context of your home as you sit around the table for 10 or 15 minutes. Before or after the meal, probably after is best. Uh, but you know, just to just to go through and have again conversations from scripture because scripture forms us. Script, scripture shapes shapes our uh, critical thinking skills and our ability to engage in discernment.
1: You know, well, I bottom line, um, I want to say thank you to you, uh, thank you to your team. Um, you guys have have served all of us as parents well for years. Um, I, you know, I can tell our listeners that my my go to when when I'm trying to get my head around something that's happening in the culture um, and, and particularly is how, how it relates to to me as the parent of teenagers, um, your website and your resources is are the first place I go. And uh, and so just incredibly thankful for you and for your ministry. And I want to commend uh, your ministry to the folks that listen, listen to the Defender podcast um, because, I, because I think that there is a wealth of information and a wealth of experience there uh, to really help us to think about how we help our kids negotiate the culture uh, and do so with, um, with their discipleship in view. Um, and at the end of the day, our, our goal as parents is to, to present our children just like our goal is to with, with everyone we're in community with, to present each other, one another, um, completing Christ. And so, Walt Mueller, thank you for thank you. being with Thanks, us today. And, uh, and just uh, Lord bless you as you continue your ministry. Thanks so much. Blessings. Well,
0: Dr. Rick, as you said, that was like listening to two old friends uh, reminisce, <laughs> but obviously such a pertinent topic. Uh, really, as any parent, it's so important that we understand the culture from which our, our children are going into. And I know, especially for adopted and foster parents, we talk so much about the culture that they're coming from, but we also don't need to just look at the culture they're coming from, but the culture that we're putting them into and how we want them to shape that culture, not be necessarily shaped by that culture.
1: Yeah, well, and you and I both know, as as old youth ministry guys, that you know that there's a there's a tendency among adolescents to you know to kind of be swept up and to be influenced by culture, um, because there's this there's kind of this need to want to you know fit in and need to want to you know kind of get along and to not be noticed necessarily, but to but to be accepted, and and so I think you know things like the Center for Parent Youth Understanding are really helpful for us um, just to, to kind of know how to engage um, the, the conversation with our kids. I, you know, I couldn't imagine early on in, in youth ministry that there would come a time when I didn't love, you know, like cutting edge popular music and didn't love the, you know, the movies and the stuff of the day. Um, but bro, I don't know about you, but the older I've gotten, I don't have any interest in keeping up with the bands or listening to, you know, listening to the people that are really competing for my kids' attention. It's not my taste and I don't necessarily enjoy it. And so what I love about a ministry like CPYU is that that they do the hard work of keeping up with the things and the trends and the people that are, that are trying to influence our kids and they really provide a, a, a digest of who those people are and what those things are and, and provide a context for us to, you know, to be able to stay connected uh, to the world that our kids are living in so that we can help them, you know, to negotiate it. And, and you and I've talked a bunch of, you know, about this, but I think part of it, like you don't ever get to relax as the parent of a teenager. Right. Like there it's a 24 seven job and that and that part of our job in this is about, you know, walking with our kids and helping them to learn how to negotiate the world around them. And we do it by doing it with them. Um, And and so. CPYU essentially just kind of gives us the the sort of a leg up or a cheat sheet, if you will, of of being able to understand you know that world that we're you know really kind of you know foreign to. And I I, I know as you know as, as you and I've talked, um, it's hard sometimes to know, and it's hard sometimes to negotiate the balance of. Um, helping our kids to stay, stay protected from the world, to help to to keep them in places where where they're not unduly influenced or they're not influenced too early by things in the world. But the reality that that part of what we have to do is we have to create um, like young men and young women that are able to go into the world and they're able to stand for Christ in the middle of, you know, in, in the middle of a mess. And I know, you know, you and Ashley, um, deal with that with your kids right we deal with it with ours and 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 this is just kind of one of those you know one of those one of those great tools I think um, that that we can you know that we ultimately can use um, I, I think you know it it also is uh, it kind of goes without saying that you know he talks about this whole idea of like the gender issue, right? And, and talks about this, you know, this concept that, that we, you know, our kids are being sold a bill of goods that, um, that, that somehow, you know, gender and all of these things that have been defined by God are ultimately really up to individual taste and they're up, you know, they're up to our choice. And, um, and, and that, and that ultimately we, you know, we have a responsibility as parents and, We have responsibility as followers of Christ to help our kids to, to, you know, to think deeply about, um, about life in such a way that they, you know, that they understand that individualism and, um, is, is, is not the final word. Like God is determinative and God has a design for us and that, you know, ultimately that we, you know, we have to, we have to follow after it, um, and, and that we, and we have to help our kids do that before they're fully formed adults, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I know you and I've talked about and I've certainly talked with other parents about is we, our children have to be informed. They have to know the, the challenges and the things that, that this world is going, to, is going to bring them. We've got to let them know the beauty of the way God created the world, but then the way that sin has deconstructed that beauty I think what's so paramount, and, and you and, and Dr. Mueller really talked about this, both helping a child understand the worldview, is to, is to not allow culture to educate our children right. on all of these things because culture will, will glamorize sin. It will, it will take the brokenness and it will glamorize it in such a way that makes it seem like this is normal and this is the way life is supposed to be. And, and really in our current day culture, we're living through that. We're, we're living through a time where we're taking brokenness and we're calling it and we're normalizing it. And we're even trying to make it mm-hmm. beautiful and natural and it's, it's not natural. And, uh, and, and we've got to, we've got to help our kids to know how to think biblically. Uh, we have to help our kids know how to navigate those things and we have to we have to help our kids understand those things and that's not by burying our heads in the sand that's not by becoming lazy on knowing the ways of the world but it's by taking a keen interest it's by listening to them and it's it's by helping them become a student of culture through the lens of God's word and God's ways and You know i i think too as 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 difficult as it can be and you're right i mean you know the the acronyms my kids are bringing to me these days (laughs) and you know it's like what in the world does that mean or you know how everything is shortened and most of it is benign but we've also got to just be careful that they know what they're saying and then they know what roots what the root of the things that they're saying mean uh i remember and and so i don't embarrass my kids i'll go all the way back to my youth ministry days and i've told you this story before dr rick but all of the kids trying to make me more hip told me that i needed to say that things were fat p-h-a-t um and you know and they were like yeah that means things that's you know it it kind of was like the word we used was cool and and back in the late 90s the word was fat and so it's like i'll just say it's fat well i I happened to be preaching at in church in front of the adults. And I said, yeah, it's real fat, like the kids say. And I noticed and I looked over at my students and all of them were white as a ghost. So afterwards, I said, don't ever use that word in front of adults again like that. And they am like, well, I am an adult. What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, it means pretty hot and tempting. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, you mean I, I'm using something that I really don't even know what it means. And, if, and I think in the same way, our kids will bring this vernacular, they'll bring the things of this world in, not even knowing what it really is about or what it really is. And it's our job as parents to help them understand their worldview, is to help them understand what's going on in the world so that they can navigate through the world and 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 not as a right, not as someone who has to stick out like a, a sore thumb, but to understand that at the same time, we are exiles and sojourners traveling through this world looking for the way that God made it to be. And so, yeah, I, I think for all parents, whether you're a parent through adoption or through foster care or whether you're leaning into vulnerable families, it's so important that we help our children and help adolescents see appropriate worldview through a biblical lens.
1: And, and, you know, you, like you, you drew me to, to kind of make one, one additional point. And I think it, it is that like our job as parents through this is to sometimes take our kids by the hand and, and lead them through that figuring out of culture. And, and sometimes I think we we're, we're deluded into believing that that's the wrong thing to do because it feels like we're spoon feeding our kids or that we're, you know, that somehow we're not we're not like helping them to think and so but but in reality we have to remember our kids are adults who are who are becoming and and they're not really fully complete intellectually they're not really fully complete cognitively and one of the ways that they learn to think critically is by walking in the tracks of people who are thinking critically so when, you know, so when you talk about that and talk about kind of processing this with your, with your kids, um, you're just modeling. That's how we learn how to think worldviewishly. That's how we learn mm-hmm. how to think critically because, because as adults, um, those of us that have that skill and have that experience are, are kind of pointing out what good decision making looks like and, and pointing out what good choosing looks like to our kids. And, and I think many times we as parents fall into the trap of, of thinking, hey, we're not cool enough to be able to, to enter into those conversations with our kids or our kids aren't going to listen to us because you know, because, they're, because they're more attuned to their friends. When in reality, our kids desperately want us to have those, those conversations with them and around them. And our kids desperately want to know which way to go. And, and, they, and they honestly crave to hear that from us as parents, um, even sometimes when we think we're not the best people to, you know, to teach them or to lead them. So, you know, I guess that's the commercial for don't outsource the discipleship of your kids to, you know, to the local youth pastor or the local church. Um, it, It happens in your home first.
0: Amen. Well, we hope that as we, as God's people, are defending the fatherless, that we're not just defending them by sheltering them, but we're ultimately helping them to think biblically through this world that they have. And so we're so grateful for the way that God calls us out to defend the fatherless, to defend the orphan, to defend the the vulnerable child and the vulnerable family. And we pray that not only would we do it in a justice way, but we do it in a biblical way, in the way that we help them navigate this world.